0: So I thought, Susan, that we would wrap up with um, thinking or looking into, you know, a couple years ago when we celebrated our 50th anniversary um, during our fundraising for our T-shirts, we put on the back of our T-shirts at SYC, we say, and we put some sayings on there. I wanted to kind of read through those. These were ones that as teachers, we all got together and picked the ones that we felt, you know, were the most meaningful that we wanted to have on this shirt. Um, And the things that we're talking about today are going to come up in other podcasts. When we talk about specific topics, you're going to hear us talk about some of these language or or SYC words that we might use.
1: So this was kind of a preview of sort of some other things that are going to come up. Yeah,
0: just a preview here. Hello, this is Amy Radowski, and I'm your host of the SYC School for Young Children podcast. Our philosophy is we believe in the social mo- emotional development of all children, and we believe that that happens within the context of free, uninterrupted playtime. This podcast is meant to serve as a parent education and as an outreach so we can reach more families. Now, our next episode. This is Amy Rudowski, and I am your host of the SYC Approach, Empowering Preschoolers Through Play and Compassion. Today I have with me Susan Roschino. Susan is my partner in crime here at SYC. Susan is the co-director along with um, a teacher. Um, I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell you um,
1: a little bit about her background. Um, hi, Amy. Thanks for having me yeah. here. Uh, my background was in elementary education. I taught first grade for about seven years before moving to Ohio. I was a parent at SYC first, as many of our teachers were, and I've been here for about 15 years and co-directing with Amy for the last three. And there's no place I'd rather be.
0: So I thought today for the podcast we would um, talk about things we say at SYC or things that we don't say. Um, throughout the years, we've had parents comment, and, and sometimes the teachers even comment on this that we have somewhat of our own language, um, and so some people call that, you know, the SYC language or don't SYC me, don't don't SYC talk me. That's usually my teenagers that actually say that. Yeah, the me.
1: SYC talk goes home an awful lot.
0: Yeah, it sure does. Um, And so, yeah, I just kind of wanted to talk about some of those things. You know, this is not going to be encompassing everything we say or don't say. These are just some of the um, mentionables that we – We've kind of come up with and and even actually written them down.
1: Yeah. What happened is um, maybe six or seven years ago, we were noticing that when we got student teachers or teen helpers or even new teachers came into the school, we'd find them saying things that kind of made us go, ugh. So they would, and we'll talk more about the specifics, but saying things like friends or you're okay um, or you need to share. And we realized that we do have our own separate language and our own way of saying things. Um, So we kind of wrote it all down and thought, this is what we don't say and this is why. And this is what we do Stay instead to kind of get to the same sorts of goals.
0: And I will say that always our main goal and when we are speaking with children is um, respect. Absolutely. That's that's the number one basis of of where we're going. And it's not that some of these other um, words or things we don't say necessarily aren't respectful. We just find these things to be the the most encompassing of our values here um, at SYC. And that's not
1: to say we don't slip. Absolutely. We all slip sometimes sometimes. but we found that the other ways that we have of saying things really, like you said, are more respectful of children and who they are and what their feelings are. Um, and I think maybe that's why SYC Talk goes home with us so much, too, because even in your everyday life with adults, the same things are helpful, right. right? They're respectful the way we speak to people here and outside.
0: Absolutely. So one of the first things that we have on our, our, our little list here is um, we're talking about friendships. Um, So things that we, we don't assume or we don't want to say is we're all friends here right? So if, if we're in a classroom, or, you know, we're not necessarily going to say, okay, friends, come on over. It's time to come over and listen to the announcements. Can you kind of speak to uh, us about that, the why behind that?
1: And honestly, I found that that's one of the most controversial things yes. in early childhood circles, because a lot of teachers will refer to the children as friends, either implying that they're friends with each other or friends with the teacher. And to be honest, that's not true. Just because you're all four years old doesn't mean you're friends with everybody. And we, I really feel like, By using that term, you're devaluing what a real friendship means. A real friendship means that we have a connection, that we respect each other, that we care for each other, that we like each other. And you can be in the same class and honestly not like each other. Sure. So we try not to use those words. And I wouldn't even necessarily refer to all the adults here as friends. We're coworkers, and some I'm more friendly with than some others. But we don't want to make assumptions about that. So we try not to say friends. And then people say, well, then what do you say?
0: Right, because I think that is a hard a a kind of a hard language to figure out because we are all a community in the classroom right right? so what is it that we can say to kind of call everybody over or to refer to us because we are a part of this community however we aren't necessarily like you said all friends um and so you know that's something where we might just you know hey it's it's time for all the kids to come on over we're gonna make an announcement and then this is what we're gonna do um you know we're gonna have small group um and moving along in there
1: so kids works everyone Hey, y'all, whatever you're comfortable with. But I think the other aspect that friendship comes into it is this idea when people say, well, we don't hit our friends. Well, when I'm mad at you, you're not really my friend at that moment. And by saying I don't hit your friends meaning saying, well, you can hit other people that aren't your friends. So we don't want to make those assumptions. And we don't want to use those terms and assume that people feel a friendship towards each other because they may not. We don't hit people. People aren't for hurting, regardless of whether you're a friend or not.
0: Yes. Uh, One of our other main things that we say here, in fact, there was even a book written about it. If you have not heard it yet, it is called It's Okay Not to Share, written by Heather Shoemaker. But that's one of the things we don't say. We don't make kids share. We won't say it's time to share. You know, Susan, are you done with your uh, coffee cup there? It's my turn. I am
1: not. I'm still Mm -hmm. drinking from it. But I can have it when I'm done, (laughs) if you want it still. (laughs) Um. Could you wash it first? Yeah. But as adults, we yeah. don't do that, right? As adults, I wouldn't expect you to share something that's valuable. Maybe not your laptop. Maybe not something that's your special favorite shirt. I wouldn't expect you to share something personal like your toothbrush or your hairband. Or my husband. Uh, or your husband. I wouldn't expect you to share something that you're in the middle of using like my coffee cup right now. Um, and I wouldn't expect you to share something if I've loaned you something before and you mistreated it. So there's no reason why we can't expect those, same, give those children those same kinds of rights. Let them choose when they're going to share, but the bigger part of that is you have to know what it means to own something before you can know what it means to share it
0: yes and and I think that when when I share when I share this information with other people, you know I, I sometimes get looks like what do you mean sharing is caring? Well, sharing can be caring when it is chosen, voluntary, yes, when it is voluntary, so I think the way we're looking at this is we don't believe in forced sharing, right? Absolutely. So just because you've had a, a turn for five minutes doesn't mean that it's it has to be my
1: turn. And who am I to tell you that you're done after five minutes? Maybe you have this fabulous idea for what you're doing with all those blocks and maybe you're just getting started with it and, and who am I to say that it's now somebody else's turn just because they walked up and they said that they wanted it. Um, that devalues a child's ideas, it devalues their time Five minutes means nothing, right? But it, it, it takes away from whatever they're doing. Um, so what we do instead is we have a system of turn-taking. When you have something, if there's only one of it or that's the one that you're using, you keep it as long as you want. And sometimes kids will come, especially if an older kid who's been in another environment comes to school and they'll say, I'm going to keep it forever. And I'll say, totally, you can keep it forever. Never happened yet. But they might keep it all day, Right. We definitely have that. Yes, especially with the hoses. I found the hoses (laughs) is what they keep the longest. Um, But once you know that you truly can have it as long as you want, then you don't need to do that. Then you're willing to be able to give it to somebody else because you know your turn's going to come again. So while you're waiting, somebody else has got it right now. It's not your turn. Let's put your name on the list. I'll draw a picture of the whatever it is. Put your name on the list, and I'll tell the kid, I will come get you in your turn. And I promise, and I always come back. Might be today, might be tomorrow, might be a couple days from now, but I will come back to you and you'll get your turn. And we found that even the littlest kids, the twos pick up on this so quickly.
0: Yes. I, you know, last year, I'm just thinking about, cause that was the most recent I taught was the twos, um, was last year and within the first week kids were asking to have their name on the right
1: and once it's on the list they don't have to worry about it anymore they're not obsessing over it. they're not hanging over the kid with it um they're like okay cool my turn will come when it comes and the turn can last as long as i want Um, and at that point then you can do what truly is sharing which means to willingly give it to someone else now that i'm done with it i will willingly give it to you and that's really what sharing is isn't it willingly give it to someone when you're done with it
0: and i think too that it's also unfair to ask a child if they have something that is so special to them. Um, it could be a special lovey, it could be, you know, their special blanket or something special. Maybe it's a brand new birthday present. Um, I don't think it's fair to force them to have to share something that, you know, that's mm-hmm. their get to be in We don't ask
1: that of each other. Right. Even my very best friends are things I would not share with them. And that's okay. Right. Why don't we give the children the same rights? It's amazing what you'll see like at a public playground. A kid will be in the playground, they've got a shovel and a bucket, they're digging in the shovel in the, in the sand, right? They've been there having a good time, they got a story going. Some stranger kid they don't know walks up, wants to use a shovel, and so many times a parent will say, Well, you need to share. And I'm thinking, Why? First of all, you don't know that kid. Right. You don't know if they can take it and run away or break it or not use it. You're in the middle of something. And it teaches the kid who's asking for it that if you want something, all you got to do is, Well, you got to share. And that's right. not the message we want to give either, because it's not real life.
0: Right. And, and I found that this is a tool that you can totally use at home as a parent, even if you're, if you only have two kids at home, making a <laughs> list and just yeah. writing something down. Number one, it shows kids that you're valuing what they say. Um, and number two, there, it's something that they can visualize and see that, that they will get a turn.
1: It means something. Yes. And we're showing them the power of writing. We're showing them the power of language, the power of the written word. This is important. As well as telling them, you, when you're holding it and you're playing with whatever it is, that is important. And I value what you're doing. And I will let you do it as long as you need to do it.
0: Yeah. And, and play dates, this is something you can use. Absolutely. Specifically. Um, speaking of that, just a side note here, but thinking about sharing. Something about with play dates, though, if you have some of those sort of special toys that you don't want to be um, um, shared with. But it might be tricky if another... Um, you know, classmate is coming over or maybe a family member, you know, I always would walk through my house with the kids before a play date would happen and say, what is it you don't want to share today? Then let's get that and put that up and out of the way just so that I kind of put some of those things away, kind of takes that anxiety away from that part. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So moving on to our next sort of subject here is, is talking about conflict and safety. So one of the things I'm going to say that we don't say, and and this, this one is hard. I'm going to say, um, and uh, I've let it slip, but is saying "be careful," right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's,
0: as a, it's a as a mom, it's a natural reaction. I just say, and I'll say it to my teenager sometime: "Be careful driving."
1: That's the one time I can't drop it is right. when they're getting in the car and they're driving. Is to say it um, again. You know, you go to any public place and they'll say "be careful," and often it's said not in a "oh, be careful," but in a "be, be careful. careful." Right. And when you're saying that, let's think about what the information you're giving your child. The world is a dangerous place. Something's going to happen. I don't know what, but something's going to happen. Um, if you're careful, you're not going to get hurt. We all know that that's not true, right? Right? And um, it's nothing useful in that. So if you think of what could you give them that would be more useful instead. So imagine a kid that's walking in front of a swing. I would give information. I'd say, I see that swing is coming. If you're there, you might get bonked, right? right? I say it in a calm, neutral way. I'm not building the sense of general anxiety of, watch out. The world's out to get you. But I'm giving information. I might say, oh, wow, I see that you're walking with bare feet and there are some sharp things on the on the playground that might hurt. Or you're on the edge of the climber. Your toes are right there. Or I might say, I know that when you wear socks, it's a little bit slippery when you run. Make a choice. You can decide to do it or not. But I'm giving information, whereas be careful means nothing.
0: Yeah, it has no information. And, and I think it can actually have the opposite effect. If somebody were to say, let's say I'm walking across a balance beam and somebody were to shout, be careful. I might react and physically, what, what, be careful of what, and that could cause me to fall.
1: Absolutely. So it'd be more dangerous besides just making you worried for not knowing what it is that you're worried about.
0: Other than maybe, oh, be careful. I notice there's not a mat underneath there or, you know, but- But we need the information more than the be careful part.
1: And the be careful, again, I really think implies that if you're being careful, you won't get hurt. Right. And that's not true. And I've heard parents even say to kids, well, if you were careful, this wouldn't happen. Well, you know, I've been careful many a time when I've still gotten hurt. Right. It's not not putting the blame on the kid. It's my job to keep you safe. As the adult, my job is to make an environment that's going to keep you as safe as possible with a reasonable amount of risk. But it's up to you to figure out how you're going to engage in that environment.
0: Right. Um, so things, uh, other things that we might say, um, also if there is a conflict between two kids, um, something, you know, I'm just thinking if there was a conflict over an item or a conflict over, um, each other, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe an idea, um, maybe a child hits another child or maybe a child takes a toy out of another child's hands. Um, something that we would do is, um, First of all, if there was an injury or somebody hurt, we would a- address that right away. But then asking the child, um, do you want that to happen to you? You know, um, and then kind of coaching them and guiding them how to further with that. You know, do you want him to hit you? No. Then we would guide them. Tell him stop or tell them don't don't do that. Um, as they get older, you know, maybe in the twos, it's it's just say stop. Right. Mm-hmm. When we get to the fours, we want to add to that language more Tell him stop. What? What do you want him to stop doing?
1: So often they'll say stop, and like stop hitting me, stop looking at me, stop. I wasn't sure what stop part was for.
0: What do you want me to stop doing over here? Um, let's see here. Um, other things that we um are going to be careful about not saying. Look at that. I just even said be careful. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha. Um, is talking about um labeling a child as bad or labeling um. Uh, saying something like that's not nice that's not nice you're not sharing mm-hmm. right or that's not nice that you took that toy from somebody else what would be something that we could say instead of saying that's not nice
1: well I'm depending on the situation or in the age of the child I might say look at their face it looks like they didn't like it when you did that or I might say people aren't for hurting if they're hurting somebody to give them that kind of an information um but it's more looking at the specifics of the information nice doesn't really mean a whole lot um if somebody just says be nice, does that mean like I can't set a limit on somebody? So mm. if somebody tells me to be nice, does that mean I left let them walk all over me? That they get to be the boss of everything? Um, sometimes to stand up for myself, it's not nice. Sometimes I have to say no, I won't let you hit me, and I might even have to say it in a strong voice. Um, so I would give specific information about what what do you need to say to get what you to get what you want or to be able to get your needs heard out there.
0: Mm-hmm. How do
1: you tell the other person what you need?
0: Sure. Um- I'm just gonna go through this section first of just talking about things that we wouldn't say or mm-hmm. um, and then kind of go through the other things so we wouldn't say to a child necessarily you need to say you're sorry tell
1: that right. child sorry there's lots of conversation about that <laughs> yeah. and I think I think um, many folks in the early childhood community have 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 learned from that um, in recent years but sorry means nothing if it's forced right, right. we've all had the kids who come in who, who will Run and crash into somebody and then say, sorry, 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 while they're running away because they've learned that that gets them out of it. Um, it means nothing. But what we might help them do is say, look at, look at what happened. So when you did that to this kid, this is what their face looks like. We might have the kid tell them, I didn't like it when you did that or I don't want you to do that. And we help them to resolve the conflict or at least acknowledge what happened. But saying sorry means nothing. Um Depending on the age and the kid, we might help them find a way to help the children the child that was hurt, if that's what it is, um, to get them a Band-Aid or get them an ice pack or a t- tissue or something. Um, so it's more like showing that you're sorry. It's more like showing that you regret what you did or if, if you regret what you did right? right, or that you acknowledge what happened.
0: Yeah, you may not regret it. You might not regret it right. because
1: maybe it got to what you want. But at least you can see the result of what happened. And this need to be I as the adult's my job to set the limit and say, I can't let you do this or we're going to need to go take a break or something like that. Um, but a forced sorry means nothing to anybody. It doesn't mean purse on the re- anything on the receiving end, and it doesn't mean anything on the giving end.
0: And it, it doesn't solve the problem.
1: It doesn't. Right? It just feels like a quick fix and you're gone. You're
0: like, oh, if I say I'm sorry, then I can go do what I want. Then I'm going to run. Right. Because that's what it. happens. They usually
1: say, I'm sorry, 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 as they're like running across mm-hmm. to the other side of the room to get away from you.
0: Right. Um, something else. Um, of things that we don't say would be use your inside voice. So um, for that, we might say something instead of "It hurts my ears when when you speak when you speak that loudly at the table." Yeah, um, I have said before, "Could you tell me that in a talking voice?" Because sometimes it is hard to hear something, and, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, listen. I've been at home with with young kids yeah. all day. I'm in a classroom with twenty one kids. Sometimes that that sound can be very loud to your ears, and sure. it's okay to place a personal limit. Um, on those things too but it's done so in a respectful way right tell me that in a talking voice it's easier for me to hear you that way or I
1: said I can understand you if you're screaming if you use a regular a talking voice and I might be able to help you more right
0: okay so let's talk now about um, the th- things that we would say so um, we would talk about um, we tell children that they are the boss of their body absolutely right that they get to make those decisions as far as giving somebody a hug um, at our school or whether they say hi to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Some kids when they um, arrive into the classroom may not want to have that focused attention on them when they come in. As a teacher, I'm always going to greet them um, to say hello, but I don't need a forced high back or make sure you say hi, use your manners. That's not what's important to me. What's important to me that the child um, knows that I am acknowledging that they're coming into the classroom. And as far as that, I don't need anything back. Right. Right. This is about the child feeling welcome to come into the space, not about making me feel good. Right. Um, that they're acknowledging that.
1: But being the boss of your body also means, um, within some limits, some reasonable adult limits that you decide when you're going to eat. You know, if you're hungry, we have snack available throughout the day. Um, that if you're going to go outside, unless it's dangerously cold, you get to decide whether you're wearing a jacket or not. I might make observations. I see that your arms are shaking. Or I see that my body is really cold. I'm going to zip up my jacket. So I might give some factual information or some observations. And again, I won't let it be dangerous. But I'm going to trust them to listen to their body and to know what they need and help figure out that you are the boss of your body.
0: Yeah. And I will say, this has come back to me several times as a parent, where a kid will, my, one of my kids would say, uh, I'm the boss of my body. I don't have to do that. Right. Well, that is a tricky thing when that when they it throw is. that back out at you, right? Um, and so there are some things that that ch- my kids and k- kids get to decide about, but there's some things that you know, being a part of a community or being a part of the household that mm-hmm. we all have to to do some parts of of things in there. Well, and know?
1: my job as the grown up is to keep you safe, whether at home or at school. And so I, there are some decisions that are grown up decisions: so wearing a seatbelt, brushing your teeth going to bed or at least being in bed at a certain time, right? right? Those are adult decisions that the kids don't make to make. You don't have to like it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if it's hard for you to do it, I might help you move your body. So if I have to help you move your body to get it in your car seat to get you clicked, that might have to happen. Um, so yeah, you. but kids understand the difference between yeah. that, right? Yeah. Between that and me being the boss and telling them what to do. Right.
0: And, and I think when it comes to safety, safety is one of those things that's non-negotiable. It's not. Right. That.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Angela, who you heard from in the last podcast, she talks a lot about how when children are infants, how you're responsible for everything for them, everything, all the decisions that are made about them are, are is your job as the adult. And then, when they're adults, they're responsible for all the all the decisions. And your job as a parent is to be gradually over time giving some of those decisions and responsibilities over to the child. So, when you're an infant, I do all the make all the decisions when you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, all that stuff. And as you get older, you might make, you start making more and more of those decisions on your own as you're ready. And but there's still some parts that are my job as a grown up, right?
0: Um, and on that same part, I was I was thinking about you know. When there is this conflict with if there is a conflict with two children um, or just at any time, letting kids know that it's your job, um, as you said, that you're going to keep them safe. You are there to take care of them. So if there was um, a a physical conflict that we would say something like, I I can't let you hit or I won't let you hurt somebody. um, That's something to let them know that that we are the adults in the, the space and that we are going to take care of them and keep everyone's safe
1: and and they hear that i won't let you hit somebody so when they're feeling out of control i'm going to be the help one to help re-regulate them and get them back into control and at the same time the other kids hear i'm not gonna let him hit you so we're letting everybody know this isn't this isn't going to keep happening and i will be here physically to make sure that you're both safe but also to help you figure out how you got to this point so we're not doing this again and again so you know what made you get mad how did you how did this happen how do we avoid this again how do you help you feel with those feelings um so my job is to help with all those sorts of things.
0: Right. And I, and I think it's important to label that to them, that yeah. they can hear that. Yeah. My, my job, job is to keep you safe. My job is to keep you safe. So let's move on then um, to thinking about emotions and things that we would say or not say. Um, so stop crying. Oh, um, that's never helped me. Yeah. Yes. Could you calm down? Susan? Yeah, it never helped that's, either. That's real helpful, right? <laughs> um, or or big kids don't cry. Only babies cry. Well, that's oh. that's really not true because
1: I'm an adult and I cry. One of our teachers just gave a series of talks to her class about all the different times she's cried. This is the time I cried when I was sad, and this is a time when I cried when I was laughing, and this is a time when I cried when I was happy. And what a great model for all the different kinds of emotions that you have and the ways that it can be expressed. But we know that as people, as fully lived human beings, we're going to have all the feelings sometime in our lives. Some point you're going to get mad. Some point you're going to get sad. Some point you're going to be jealous. And our goal is to help you know, number one, that it's okay to have those feelings. Number two, that... um, You know what to do with those feelings, right? So that, yes, you can be mad, but no, you can't hit people or you can't destroy things. Yes, you can be sad, but you can't scream in the middle of Kroger, right? So what can you do with those feelings? And then to know that those feelings are gonna come and go. That yes, you feel terrible right now, but it's not gonna last forever. And the only way you can learn all those things is to have those feelings be totally and completely accepted and to know that the adults around you can handle them. I'm here for you. You can be as mad as you want. You can hate me, you can yell at me, I can handle it, right? I'm in control. And by my regulating myself and being in control, I will help you to calm down, to regulate yourself, and then we can figure out what to do. So all those feelings are welcome. Be mad, be sad, be angry, and I'll help you find something that you can do with those feelings.
0: And and I think it's important to also, you know, we want our kids to be whole children. Right. Right. Being a whole child is experiencing all of those emotions, even if they're uncomfortable for A us. whole person, right? right? a whole person. Um, and so, yeah, so... We, we wouldn't put a time limit on saying, I wouldn't say, Susan, you've been happy long enough. Oh, no. It's time to stop being happy now. Right?
1: Or imagine saying to your partner, you, okay, this you've been mad too many times. This is it. You yep. know, this is done. I'm done with it. I'm done. Um, and think of, what, as an adult, what do you need when you're feeling mad or sad? It doesn't help you to have somebody to tell you you're done with it. It doesn't feel good to have somebody try to trick you out of it. I remember um, as a kid, people saying, oh, you can smile on it because you smile on your face just ticked me off
0: because that's manipulating feelings
1: absolutely right and then let's say you give you know somebody who'll try to offer had a parent just this morning talking about being at a class and the kid she was with was super upset because she couldn't do what she wanted to do and all these adults kept coming over trying to give her a sticker or give her a toy or something okay so we're worried about adults who when they're feeling sad or mad they overeat they go shopping they buy stuff right right they're using things to fix their feelings well this is where it starts we're not going to have things we have to learn as adults, which we're not comfortable with, mm-hmm. but we have to learn how to be okay with our own feelings and to be okay with the feelings of our kids. And it's not, it doesn't feel good. We admit, I know that, right? Right. It's, it doesn't feel good when a kid's crying and they're upset, but we have to learn to be okay with it. Right. So that they can be okay with it.
0: Um, and we have to let them know and give them a space for them to be able to have those feelings and, and to go through them. So on that same note, we wouldn't tell a child or just like we wouldn't tell an adult, you're Okay. Because you're obviously not. Yeah, you you fell down and you're crying. You scraped your knee. I understand it. Your your knee jerk reaction is to say, "You're okay. You're okay." Right. Right. I've done that, but but they're not. Yeah, they're not okay. And that's telling them how they feel. And I never like anybody to tell me how I feel. No. In fact, if you tell me that, I'm going to get mad. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> On the, top of whatever, that's the feeling I'm going to have is <laughs> a mad feeling.
1: Um, you know, that's, that's interesting because I've been noticing, like, in shows I've been watching on TV, how often even adults to adults on TV shows or whatever, somebody's heard or upset, like, you're okay, you're okay. Um, and I'm thinking what would be more helpful for me is rather than saying you're okay, says you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, right now you're not, but eventually you're going to be if you feel like yeah. you have to say something like that. But what's more helpful to me when I'm upset, if I'm, you know, conf- telling, having a conversation with a friend saying this really horrible thing happened to me today, what helps for them to say, wow, that was awful. Right. You know, gosh, that sounds terrible. I can see that that's really bothering you.
0: And, and I really go back when talking about this subject is, is thinking about Brene Brown. Yeah. And she'll say, you know, I'd rather have somebody say, I'll sit here with you while you're upset or I'll be, that re- that's really hard. I'm going to be here with. you." Right. Um, don't try to solve the problem necessarily, but I can be here with you. Now, when it's with a child, there might be times when you get to guide them on some problem solving Eventually. Eventually, right. Not in the moment, not in that that moment where they're having their experiencing um, those big feelings. But eventually that you might be able to kind of um, problem solve with them. But other times it's just sitting with them and being with them when they're upset.
1: And it's so hard for us. I mean, it really is hard. Nobody likes to be sitting with a kid when they're mad or when they're upset, especially if it happens in public, right? We've all had – I know we all have, but I've had those times when you have a kid freaking out in public and, you know, you're just sitting there with them and people walk by – and you feel like they're judging you or whatever. But sometimes they just need to get through it. And just sitting there with them, keeping them safe. But sitting there with them might be the, the best way to make it through. Right. And then um, we've talked before about this thing, this idea of like going through a tunnel with somebody with their feelings. Yes. And when somebody's feeling a big emotion, it's like they're heading through this tunnel and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And you're going to get through and out of those big feelings eventually. But you got to get through them.
0: Yeah. You can't get off the train in the middle of a tunnel. You can't.
1: And I can't push it as as a companion to that person. I can't get them off on a different track at all. All I can do is ride through that tunnel with them and be there for them when they get out the end and they're ready for some comfort or some problem solving or just to be there. But that's all I can do is ride through with them.
0: And after they get through, they can learn. I, I can get through
1: this. Right. And then maybe a problem solving. How can we keep this from happening next time or what went wrong or whatever? But maybe not. Sometimes it's just as awful.
0: So some things that we might say during those moments um, might be, um, I see you're crying. I wonder, are you, are you sad? Are you mad? We might ask some questions. They might be able to articulate it.
1: They may not. Yeah, I try not to attribute feelings because right. you never know. Right. Say, I, rather than saying you're sad, I might say, you have tears in your eyes. You mm-hmm. look like you might be sad. But it's so hard, you know, sad and mad, especially when you're little, so tied together.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, if, if a child is sad, um, at separation what's something that we might say um, if a parent has left what's something we might say to a child um, in those moments
1: I might say you look really sad or you look really mad And I'll say I know that mommies and daddies and grandparents and caregivers always come back mm-hmm. um, and I might say I'm here for you do you want to hug do you want to write a note yeah. um, offer them some options but usually they're mad at first yeah and it's once they get past the mad into the sad especially the younger ones then that they're ready to write a note or get some comfort
0: yeah, so uh, when we do our note writing, it might just be dictating exactly what they say when they're older, when they're younger, it might be drawing a picture and just saying, "Oh, I'm drawing your face. I see tears." Oftentimes, you know, they'll tell you what to write exactly. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, "Mommy, put Mommy, come back mm-hmm. Mommy, come back right now." Um, so that's something where we would be listening, validating their feelings, writing it down. Um, and sometimes that is all they need. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, not always. Um, But in general, yeah, just kind of labeling that and letting them know that there's these tools for writing and drawing a picture for going through those.
1: I think something you said—the labeling—is really important. Making sure they know that this is what you know. This feeling when your mom leaves. Sometimes people call that sad, or sometimes people call that mad. And I remember when my oldest was maybe five or so, we started having these com—these conversations about conflicting feelings. Sometimes you can be excited and scared at the same time. Often you're excited Mm -hmm. and scared at the same time, and that's a tricky thing to understand, but it feels so confusing because you're like, I know I should be excited to go to this birthday party, but I'm kind of worried about it, but I'm excited. So how can I be both? Um, And I think it's by five or six, most kids can kind of figure that out that, yeah, you're feeling both of those things at the same time. And that's normal to feel both of them. Sure. So now let's kind
0: of move into um, some things that we might say or not say during playtime or just kind of general things. So oftentimes if kids are working on art, we will get, don't you like my picture? Or or an adult might say, "What a pretty picture. That's beautiful." And that sounds good in theory when you hear that. Tell us why maybe not so.
1: Well, by saying that, I'm putting a judgment on it. I'm saying that to me, this is something beautiful. And and maybe it wasn't meant to be beautiful. Maybe it was an angry picture, mm-hmm. right? Um And ideally, I'd rather them paint something that they like, that's appealing and visual to them, that's beautiful to them, rather than being um, something that's an outside judgment on the quality or quantity of their work. Um, Once in a while, you just see something that truly strikes you as beautiful. There's nothing wrong with saying, wow, that's beautiful. But more likely, I would say something like, wow, you worked really hard on that. Or I might say, I see these colors here. Or you might say, tell me about your picture. And They'll, if they can, then they'll tell you some about it. And you'll have some more ideas. But I try to avoid any outside judgments on what it is that mm-hmm. they're doing.
0: And when I get that question about, you know, don't you like my picture or mm-hmm. do you like my picture? I try to kind of work on retraining that with kids because I don't want them to necessarily have to seek external validation. Absolutely. I want them to be motivated to make a picture because they want to or because they feel that not because they want to impress me or. Um, make me feel proud. Right. In, in other words, that, that's not their job.
1: Right. And it's about the process of making the art. It doesn't really matter what it looks like at the end. It's the thought that went into it, it's the ideas that went through the experience, the physical experience of making whatever they make. That's what's important, not the product.
0: Right. Um, so then thinking of that same thing about labeling, saying something like, you're pretty, or I love your clothes. Again, that's putting a a judgment on it Mm -hmm. um, and also helping them seek that kind of external validation.
1: And it's implying that your value is based on what you look like. Right. And we tend to do that with female presenting children more than anybody else, and that is certainly something we don't want to be starting at this age.
0: Right. Um, So things that we might say is in the classroom is, um, what can I do to help? What, what can I get you to help? Um, do you need more art supplies for your picture that you're mm-hmm. painting? Do you need more brushes? What can I do? So I can engage with a child while they're doing some of those activities, right? And I can inquire. I can ask them questions um, instead of just labeling it with a your picture. Is right. Pretty,
1: or, yeah. or I, I love using I wonder questions. I wonder what you need. Or I wonder what you're working on. Or I wonder what's next. Or to be honest, leave them alone, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes sure. they just need to can be doing their own thing without anybody talking to them about it.
0: Um, this is one that's hard for me. But so looking at things in the classroom, but but saying something like, oh, look at how well John is behaving over there.
1: So using a kid as an example.
0: Right. So, oh, you're sitting so nice, John. What What great behavior you have.
1: And saying that to try to manipulate other kids into doing that.
0: Right. Right. So that's a hard one for me. So how do you approach that? Hard for
1: you in that you feel like sometimes you do that? No. Oh, or like no. it really pushes your buttons? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think, um, to be honest, in my elementary education background, that that was presented as a valid way of um, classroom management. Okay. Was, you know, focus on the good that people are doing and other people will follow along because they want to get those pra- that praise as well. Um, but the tricky thing about that is, again, we're valuing the outside affirmations. You know what's important is what I think about how you're behaving. I mean, it does feel manipulative, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Um, there are other ways if you need people to be doing the same thing at the same time, which you know shouldn't be happening very often in these early years. Um, but um, and and there's and there's something to be said for saying to somebody, "Wow, you helped me clean up the stuff. Yeah. Thanks." I, but like I'd a genuine you, help, it because yeah. I really am thanking you because you helped me, not because I'm trying to manipulate the other kids to say, "Hey, Johnny, look at Timmy; he cleaned up." You know. Yeah. that's – I wouldn't I wouldn't like if somebody did that to me. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's that's the part that I that is a struggle for me. But yes, saying something genuine, that was really helpful that you helped me put that away. Um, But that's more so so to a specific child, not so much sort of um, and just in earshot to, like you said, manipulate some of those. Well,
1: and and that brings us to and I don't know if this is where you're going next. was a good job. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, kind of like be careful. Good job is so vague. It's so nebulous and used so often for so many different things. Um, once in a while, I get somebody who, oh, good job. You walked in the door. Good job. You put your bag away. Good job. You took your shoes off. You know, if you use it five times within the first minute you're in the classroom, it's kind of lost its meaning. Right. right? But it feels, it feels manipulated. Like I'm trying to get you to do something. And it's not informative. But if you said, wow, it was really helpful for me when you opened the door. Mm-hmm. Or look at that. You got in the car in time, and now we'll have extra time on the way You to know, sing a song on the way to school. Or um, you put those dishes on the table. Now we can all have dinner. Um, that factual, detailed information tells kids what they did that was helpful, and it gives them a word. That was helpful. That was kind. That was thoughtful of you to do those things. But being specific like that tells so much more that can be easily Then the kids can take that in like, okay, this is what it means to be kind. This is helpful when I do that. Um, Whereas good job just means so little. And we use that so many times. I hope that if nothing else from this podcast, people pay attention to how often they hear good job in the world. right? Not just kids, not just teenagers, but like. It's everywhere. And see how meaningful it is once you start noticing it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it just makes me think of it. Sure. I get it. Like when we're first maybe potty training our kids, like, oh, we kind of want to celebrate that part right? when they first do it. But then if you think about that, it's like, do I tell, you know, Holly or do I tell you good job, Susan, you went to the potty today, you know, right? when you- <laughs> Good job.
1: You showed up at work. <laughs> right?
0: Congratulations. <laughs> you did it. Um, of course, you know, these are adulting type stuff, but, but again, if we think about how often we're saying it, the meaning is less. It really so, is.
1: Right? And how much more meaningful will be if somebody said to me, wow, I'm glad you came to work today because you got this thing done for me, or mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact that you're here on time all the time, or, you know, that specific information means so much more than just a good job.
0: For sure. Um, but same. you're doing a
1: good job, Paul. Huh, Amy? Thank you so much.
0: Um so thank you let's talk about that <laughs> should we um force kids to say thank you
1: you know different families have different ideas about about manners yeah. um at school we don't really force it because it's kind of fine, kind of like sorry that if it feels forced then it kind of loses what meaning is there um but with all those sorts of things what we try to do is model if somebody does something that i appreciate i'll say hey thanks for doing that you got me a placemat thanks that was helpful um by modeling it, I think kids hear what it means, and then as they're ready, they'll they'll put it into use in their lives. But forcing somebody to say thank you feels disingenuous.
0: Yes, and I will say, you know, in my personal philosophy as a parent was I I never um, did the manners like please, you know, you must say please, you must say thank you, but it was. done through modeling, you know, Mm -hmm. even if my husband would make dinner, I would modeling that in front of the kids. Thank you so much for making dinner, right? You know, Um, and just so you know, my kids who are teenagers do have manners now, (laughs) Um, and and learn them through that natural, meaningful, that meaningful way. Now, there are times when I might have given some guidance, if we're going to grandma and grandpa's house, and we're going to open up presents, and they may not get something they like I might have just given some guidance that when I get a present I say thank you
1: some some coaching yes some coaching on how to be polite to people or to be cautious uh, to be considerate of other people's feelings is the word I'm looking for yes. yeah how to be considerate so but I, but I think and, and I think some specific insta- um, instances need more a little bit a little help but if we're saying thank you you know to them for things that they do and they see how good it feels Right. Then they're going to be more likely to say to somebody else for something genuine that they really did do rather than just a forced whatever.
0: Yes. So I thought, Susan, that we would wrap up with um, thinking or looking into, you know, a couple years ago when we celebrated our 50th anniversary um, during our fundraising for our T-shirts, we put on the back of our t-shirts at SYC, we say, and we put some sayings on there. I wanted to kind of read through those. These were ones that as teachers, we all got together and picked the ones that we felt, you know, were the most meaningful that we wanted to have on this shirt. Um, And the things that we're talking about today are going to come up in other podcasts. When we talk about specific topics, you're going to hear us talk about some of these language or or SYC words that we might use.
1: So this was kind of a preview of sort of some other things that are going to come up. Yeah,
0: just a preview here. So on the back of the shirt, we said, at SYC, we say, you're the boss of your body. Here's what I know. So that's one of those times when instead of saying, be careful, we might say, here's what I know. That could be slippery. Or here's what I know, there's a big puddle of water over there.
1: Or for things like limits, like here's what I know, people are not for hitting. Or here's what I know, the clock says it's time for lunch. Right. Um, all feelings are okay.
0: It's okay not to share. It's okay to go up the slide. Because at SYC it is okay to go up the slide. What's your idea? So if a child is playing with something or maybe we see uh, – a them doing something with a, an object that may not be... Uh, if you're... So I'm imagining
1: a kid picks up a scoop of water from the sensor yeah. table, starts walking away. Right. Rather than immediately saying, oh, no, no, the water's on the table. I might say, what's your idea? Maybe they had a really good idea. They're going to water a plant, or they had a plan. But rather than jumping to know, I assume that there's an idea behind what's there, and I find out the idea, and then decide if we need to settle in it.
0: What do you need if a child is working on... Um, Maybe in the science area, maybe in the sensory area, maybe in the art area, any of the areas. We might ask them, what do you need? Do you need more paint? Do you need more scoopers in the rice table? Even grown-ups make mistakes. Um, and all of this language we use as part of our teacher talk, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, Susan, if you and I were working in the classroom together um, and I spilled my water, I would label that out loud as a way to model in front of the kids, hey, we make mistakes as adults. This is a problem we can solve. Right. This is something we can fix. You can do hard things.
1: We want kids to try, take risks and try hard things, right? Because if it's hard, it doesn't mean that you don't try it. Um. And I think that's kind of addressing this idea of sort of being brave, that just because something's challenging doesn't mean you don't need to try it. But I have confidence in you that you can do hard things.
0: I'll put your name on the list. Different people like different things. Right. Um, I hear you saying. So if a child is upset, maybe there's a conflict, we might say, I hear you saying you wish this. Or I hear you yeah. saying that. Um,
1: and that's a good way to just reflect back. Make sure you are hearing it right because sometimes you don't. Right. I hear you saying you wish this happened. And they're like, no, I was really complaining about that. Right. And wouldn't it be great for all of us? if, like every time you had these big feelings, the person across from you said, well, here hear you saying, I mean, maybe that's what people are taught to do. <laughs> well, just, I do.
0: I actually do this a lot. This is when the uh, don't S.Y.C. me comes right. back at home.
1: <laughs> I, hear, I hear your words. I hear,
0: words. I hear your words, guys. <laughs> um, what do you want to tell them? So this might be what we would use um, when coaching kids to talk to other kids. What did you want to tell them? Tell them to stop hitting you.
1: Tell them you wanted to play.
0: Right. Um, I wonder how you can start. So if a child is struggling with something, they want us to do it for them, we might say, I wonder how you could start that.
1: So getting ready to put your shoes on. I wonder how you can start. Do you start with your shoe on your head? Do you start with a shoe on your ear? Start with your shoe on your foot? All right. What do you do first? Right. Because once you get the first step, often the rest of it kind of comes.
0: Yes. Thank you for listening. Join us next time on The SYC Approach, Empowering Preschoolers Through Play and Compassion. Thank you for joining us. This is Amy Radowski and I'm your host of the SYC School for Young Children podcast. I'm the co-director of the School of Young Children. We are located in Clintonville at 93 West Weisheimer Road. For information about how to contact us, you can check our website at www.syccolumbus.org.